ladies and gentlemen, this is an off the record podcast with your uh, guest host, Sergey Ross. I'm here with Ron Benekby, who has grown up in a small business family, immigrated to Canada back in the 70th, and right now is the CEO of Uplink, the first global credit assessment platform for small business lenders. Ron, pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Sergey. Excited to be here. Likewise. I want to start with the story of your father getting a loan to open a company. What happened there? How this whole thing came up? Yeah, I, I mean, it's directly rela- uh, relevant to what I'm doing today in uh, as related to Uplink. But just, you know, as a quick synopsis, uh, I'm an immigrant. We, we came to Canada in the early 70s. We were poor. We had no money. My dad was baking bread at night to put food on the table. And in 1973, he went to Royal Bank and he asked him for a small business loan, to which the banker replied, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, Mr. Benegby, you know, we have specific lending criteria here at the bank as related to small business. Unfortunately, you don't fit those criteria. However, I believe in people. And here's $5,000. And my dad was able to take the $5,000 in 1973, start a small business, which then turned into a medium-sized business. And interestingly enough, that kind of set the stage for my mom a year later, who got her real estate license and started knocking on people's doors in Toronto in the winter of 74. And we know that's not a pleasant experience and saying, hey, do you want to sell your house? And out of that, built a small business real estate services company out of that. So small business has always been a part of my backbone. And really that $5,000 that we got, that my dad got in 1973, really became the springboard for our family's lives here in Canada. So I've, I've grown up personally in a small business family. My professional successes and my failures have come as a small business owner. Um, so obviously the small business landscape is something that's both, you know, personally and professionally relevant to me. Ron, where, which country you came from? We came from Israel. Israel, right. It's so much colder here. Oh Um, yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. It's a lot, a lot, a lot colder here. uh, And and it's, it's such a hustle to do what your dad and your mom did in the 70th because like let's just not forget you come back at 8 p.m or 9 p.m or 10 p.m back then and it's over there's no internet you can't you can't message anybody so it's like yeah. you have to be outside of the building by and large to do anything oh 100 i mean it's 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 really the epitome of what we call the grind i mean you know so my dad you know started his business but his business was like he, he went to a certain location every day but my mom was like just like all over the place and you know to your point it's just it was just hustle and you know i think that those are the the biggest things i took from my parents is you know it's just that grind and hustle and doing the dirty work so to speak um that enabled them to provide my sister and I with a very comfortable lifestyle here in Canada. And I think I took a lot of those characteristics and um, brought them over to my entrepreneurial journey because 
you know, I've always just been a hustler and grinder. And even today I do all of that, still do all of that dirty work, so to speak, um, in order to just push that business forward. And I think that's, like I said, something that I took from my parents and forever grateful for them for, for doing that for our family. Right. Right. Oh, now how, uh, Uplink came up to be. I believe there was, you had a conversation with, uh, was it a stranger? No, Nigeria? well, that was my, that was my fourth startup. I had a conversation in a downtown coffee shop, actually Le Gourmand, if you know it on Spadina, they make some very good, uh, chocolate chip cookies. If you like chocolate right. chip cookies, but that aside, no. And that, that, re that really was a spawn to my fourth startup, which was in an adjacent space. But Uplink was an interesting story because in early 21, I had um, I had left my previous startup and um, I was really looking for a way to help small business lenders better understand the creditworthiness and risk profiles of their small business loan applicants um, and turn most of the no's into yeses because mostly it's a no. And the reason for yeah. that is small business has always been underserved. They've always been asked for three years financials, audited preferably, but not audited fine. And, you know, the bank has overlaid a credit score. And when you look at that sort of legacy approach, um, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for today's small business. And given what we've been through in the last couple of years with COVID and the shuttering of all of these small businesses and the migration to all of these uh, micro SMEs who don't have three years financials and they don't have established credit scores. I was looking for a solution and, and, and honestly, I didn't have one. It's not like I had an epiphany. And you know, what I have learned in business is um, it's good to be lucky. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And mm -hmm. I was just fortunate enough to, to meet my co-founder who had an established track record in the space for a long time. And he had built a technology that we've simply repurposed right. into a modern day FinTech, which has now enabled us to go to market as Uplink. And the response has been, you know, candidly, it's been overwhelmingly positive. So that's mm -hmm. really how Uplink became about there's right. a lot more granular detail that I'll spare you, but that's kind of the high level. And what's the um, uh, run? And by the way, getting finding a good co-founder is a tremendously difficult thing, which we will we'll touch on a little bit later. But what do you feel like there? Like how big the opportunity is to serve uh, underbanked people, underbanked businesses? Wow, um, I mean the the opportunity. If, if you look at small business lending as a whole, the market on a yearly basis is north of $27 trillion. That doesn't include China. You can start backing out what percentage is underbanked, uh, underserved. Look, the wherever you get to, you are, it's a big, big number. And, and that's why it's so exciting because you know, we're, we're, we're here to help anyone who will accept our help. And it, and it's a global, it's sort of a global approach. So we've already got 
you know, uh, customers lined up in India, in Africa, in the Middle East, not, not just in North America, which is table stakes. And we really have the ability, as one of our partners said really well, his name is Ishmael, I just call him Ish for short. Mm. You know, the reason I'm partnering with Uplink is because together we have the ability to impact the lives of millions of families and underserved communities. And um, so it's a big market, one that we can't service obviously alone. Um, and that's why we're, you know, we're excited to, to go full steam ahead into it. But you start, you start with Canada or you start with North America, uh, North America first, and then you move on to uh, further markets uh, outside of it. Well, in terms of how you build a business, you always have initially a market focus. Ours is North America, clearly just because we're here. But yeah. we've received so much inbound. Um, and our business is, is unique in the sense that to launch a customer in India doesn't take any more effort if they're already there than it does a customer in North America. So most of these international sort of customers and partnerships I've referenced have actually come inbound to us. So, you know, we've been fortunate that the little bit of PR and marketing that we've done in the first few months this side of 2022 um, has really resulted in a tremendous amount of inbound interest from others. Right. I want to talk a little bit about scaling. Uh, at what point uh, in Uplink Youth, you looked at it and and you saw a clear need that we need to to scale the business. Well, you know, I uh, that's an interesting word. I'm not sure I'd use that word in the context of where we are as a company today. I mean, to me, that word is you're kind of an established business. You've got product market fit. You've you know you've clearly got revenues, and now you're looking to kind of go to the next level. And for us, we're still in that earlier stage. Um, right. So I will tell you that, you know, for me, look, I, I try not to think about these kinds of, to me, these are all like buzzwords at the end of the day. I'm just trying to build a business in a very pragmatic, thoughtful way. And I've always learned that, you know, if you do things the right way, you know, if you dot your I's, cross the T's, you bring in people, you treat them with kindness and with empathy and you put them in the right role so that they can be successful. Money, which is really all tied when people talk scaling and growth and all that, mm -hmm. money is a byproduct of all of that. So that's always how I've looked at building a business and company is, let's just do the right things, do it well. And if we do, then you know the success will follow naturally. So you don't you don't look, Ron, uh, as uh, some other founders that uh, they they look at quite aggressive milestones. Let's achieve this first phase. Let's achieve this second phase, and we need to keep growing faster because we're going to be eaten by some other guys across the street. You don't look at it necessarily this way. Well, we have milestones for our business, of course, and and we have aggressive milestones. But I'm not of the mindset of grow at any expense. You know, I'm an old school operator, even though I look very young. Thank you for recognizing that, by the way. I appreciate the compliment. And and for me, it, it's like, yeah, we're building a company, but we're trying to build a profitable company. 
So yeah. I'm not here to just raise money and then, you know, hire 20 people and then burn cash and be in the same place six months from now. So we're here to, you know, build a product, do it right hire in a very thoughtful, pragmatic way, but also give ourselves enough of a cash runway while always having business milestones that we need to hit, of course, but not at the expense of, you know, I, I hear some of these founders right. and, and, and it's just like, it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable what they do, like grow at any expense. And then, you know, and then we get into an economy like we're getting into right now. The markets are where they are right now. They're going to be out of cash in a few months and good luck trying to raise. So I kind of take a different approach. In well, I was to going to say, you, your relationship with patients is different. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not that I'm not in a rush. Believe me, I have a sense of urgency every moment of the day, but that has to be balanced against a thoughtful, pragmatic way to build a business. To just go and throw money at something in order to just grow, but growing without, you know, growing without profit and growing without, you know, um, growing without it making business sense, that's to me is a recipe for failure. And you know, more so than not, these companies don't succeed. And I can start naming a bunch of examples, but, uh, you know, I think you know the yeah. examples I'm going to name. But that's just not the way I do, like, I think about business. And, you know, and again, maybe it is the older school operator in me. Because remember, you know, my first startup, mm. we didn't raise money. Like, we, 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 we had no money. We, we just grinded like crazy. We, um, we went out, we got a customer. We made sure that customer was profitable. We, you know, paid ourselves a little bit then, hired a few people, went out, got another customer, and just repeated that process over 12 years. That was a, now, today's, today's startup doesn't have 12 years, but that's how I grew up. And to me, it's like, you know, why are you building a company without thinking about running it in a very responsible way? And I see a lot of these founders today, and I just, I just don't agree with their approach. But again, it's my opinion. It's kind of the background I've, I've grown up in. Right, but it's also Ron, and, and you totally, totally, uh, we like we spoke, we spoke with so many founders that uh, look at or. A lot of founders look at, well, here's where I could exit. I want to exit in X number of years, or I want to quickly f get rid, like sell the company and do something else. But your approach is, is fundamentally different. Oh, it's a hundred percent different. Like when I hear that, I, I just like, I laugh who, who builds a company, who starts a company and thinks about an exit. Like, I mean, to me, you don't start a company. I don't start a company to make money. I start a company because the company serves a business purpose. It solves a business problem. And like I said, if you do things the right way in terms of how you build it, how you run it, how you bring in people, how you treat people, money is a byproduct of all that. So I don't think of things like that. I don't think about exits. I don't think about the word I hate the most in, 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 in the startup world is unicorn. I can't tell you how many startups uh, founders, oh, 
we're building a unicorn. Really? Yeah. That's why you started this business to build a unicorn? That that that's the motivation behind yeah. starting your business. So look, look, to each his own. Um, for me, that doesn't resonate. It doesn't work. Um, you know, if it works for other founders, okay, great, good on you. But to me, that's not the way to build a business. And most startups fail. I think Stanford did a very uh, intensive study on this several years ago, and they looked at 35,000 different startups over five years. And look, one statistic, 92% of all startups fail. So the odds are against us. So that's just kind of my DNA and um, what's worked and hasn't worked for me too, because I've had failures too. But that's just kind of the DNA I'm cut out of. Absolutely. Ron, what's your relationship or your opinion on uh, taking external capital, uh, working with VCs? Like, what, what do you, yeah, what, I, what, how do you look at that? I, I'm very favorable to it. I, I mean, with Uplink, look, it's, it's uh, without external capital, we wouldn't be here. So it's, I'm not, I'm not opposed to taking external capital. Bootstrapping, right? Necessarily. Bootstrapping at a certain time and then bringing in an external capital to help you get to a certain milestone not opposed to that at all. I'm very much in favor of that. Uh, all I'm saying is I, I like to do it in, a, in what I think is a very thoughtful way. And, you know, the next time we raise money, we'll hit a certain milestone. And we're not just raising money for the sake of hiring people. Like, you know, we've raised enough money where I know a number of founders who would hire probably 15 people based on the amount of money we've raised. And, you know, we've got three openings right now. And we're probably going to take our time to fill those openings just because we want to fill it with the right people. So even right. though we've got money, we're still running as a lean startup and we're still running as a bootstrap startup. So I think there's a balance there. And that's just kind of like I said, it's my DNA. It's the cloth to which I'm cut from. Well, and why why is this approach, Ron, where you're not hiring uh, too fast, which is, as a matter of fact, one of the pitfalls of running a business where people hire too fast and then you, you don't have a structure, then this whole thing falls apart. But where you have right now more capital that you could deploy, what are the reasons for taking it a little bit slower and uh, and not going as fast as you potentially could have? I think we have a team that's uh, as it is today, where we can get to where we need to get to from a product perspective with the team we have. Um, we do have some openings, which we're trying to fill. It's not like we're purposely not trying to fill. We have them, we're trying yeah. to fill. We've just been deliberate with that. But we don't need to over hire because we can get to where we need to get to from a product perspective with the team we have, plus the few hires that we're looking to do. And I'm very, very concerned about cash and cash runway, that's the number one reason all small businesses fail, regardless of whether the VC funded or not, intact or not. And especially now with the markets being what they are, with the economy turning, we are, um, we are, we have to hold on to every penny we have um, until we, we can't anymore. So, um, so that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, there's a, a lot of discipline in this approach. It reminds me of uh, the CEO of Drift 
uh, there's a chatbot company back in Boston. And in early days, David Cancel had a podcast. And I still remember him saying, listen, this pen, why did we buy this pen? We should be, you should be letting me know if you buy this pen because I am a CEO, but I want to know every single dollar that we are spending on I something, even for that kind of thing. I, I, I love it. I love it. Actually, that's a, I, I've never heard that. And that's a great story. You know, it's funny. It was a few months ago, one of our employees, you know, bought a subscription on something and we have corporate credit cards and expense management cards and all that stuff, you know, like yeah. all startups do. And he inadvertently made a mistake. He, um, he had bought a U.S. subscription on a Canadian card, but we have a U.S. card. He just made a mistake. Right. Was, and I said, and I said to him, oh, oh, well, you know, can you just go and change it? And he goes, oh, what's the difference? It's like, you know, it's like 12 bucks, the purchase. I said, well, we incur a Forex charge and we don't have to. Like, I know if we had to fine. if we didn't have a U.S. card, fine. And it, it's only like whatever, a dollar, whatever. But it's it's the mentality is why would we why would we spend money when we don't have to we have a us card we could have bought the subscription on the us card and we should be buying it going forward so i love that story about the drift ceo i think that's fantastic and um from all i can tell is they're a very successful company so yeah. no one sounds like he's a good ceo yeah i love I, that's a good that's a great example it's it's a it's not about necessarily those dollar that dollar or two dollars of forex exchange it's that precedent Oh, if it's we're gonna let it slip here, then there's gonna be something there. And then it's exactly. the mindset, it's the culture where it's, it's, the culture. it's the culture that's been built. And then because right now you're in a baseline, you have that fundamental okay. base, then you bring more people there, like, oh, we can actually use Canadian card with US, that's okay. And then it slowly drifts. I you're you're it, 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 you you said it perfectly. The word is culture. It's about setting the tone and building the right culture the right way to think about business, the right way to respect the dollar. Remember, I'm an immigrant. So I remember when I got my first bank account, and this was a long time ago, I went, I had a Royal Bank bank account. I had a little manual register. There's no internet. And I would go to the branch every month. Can you please print me off my, uh, you know, my balance? And I would say, oh, I made like 17 cents interest this month. Great. So now I added that 17 cents manually. And now I have $20 and 17 cents, whatever. But that's the mindset. It's, it's, yeah. it's a grinding mindset. It's um, respect every dollar mindset. Um, and a lot of the founders that I see today, I mean, they haven't, they, they're just not cut from that cloth. And, mm -hmm. you know, it is what it is. That's, that's the cloth I'm cut from. Ron, I want to talk about hiring. You mentioned, uh, mentioned it a little bit. When you are looking for, for people, when you are expanding your team, you know, you're looking for um, not co-founder, but maybe like a VPs or directors, what are you looking for? And how do you find those people? Any maybe hiring aha moments or tactics that over the years that you found that help you help you find the right person as much as you can before starting to work with them yeah i'm not sure i'm an expert at that to be honest with you i mean i've made a lot of mis hiring mistakes over the years uh and i think we all have right it's it's par yeah. for course you you start a company you hire you you do your due diligence you know for me i always just try to um, regardless of where the 
the individual comes from, what source, whether it comes from an ad you place, whether it comes from your network, you, you message somebody in Slack and you know you've got some response or you've hired an executive recruiter. Um, is you know, how does that person translate to what we're trying to do here? Um, and you know, that word culture is overused, but it's really interesting. I actually saw the most interesting story on LinkedIn the other day. And I don't know if you saw it, Sergey, but yeah. this CEO was talking about, he went out and he hired the senior person. He went through this process and, you know, the person started and four days later, like four days into this person's job, he fired the person. He saw the person just behaving terribly to the employees. And, you know, it, it was just something he couldn't see throughout all the interviews, throughout all the reference checks, the, you know, the ones that were given plus all the back channeling. And it was, he had to see that person in the environment and he decided to act. And, you know, that's the one thing I will tell you I've probably been very good at because I've made a lot of hiring mistakes and I'm not sure I'm qualified to, this is how you should hire, but I've always been good at acting. Meaning if I see something's not right and something needs to be corrected, I own up to something if I've made a mistake. Because a lot of, again, founders, a lot of executives, by acting, it's an acknowledgement that they've made a mistake. It's acknowledgement of failure. But I've always, you know, so that's what I would tell you. It's I've, I've always been good at acting. I've always taken ownership of failures that I've had or misses that I've had because you have a lot of misses. Um, and in order to try to improve the company going forward. So I don't know if I'm that not, makes Yeah, I have not heard that story, but it's a, it's a really a brilliant one. It reminds me of a founder that I have spoken with before. And what she said was really exceptional. She said, especially early on when you are in uh, building your business, those people are 10Xers. Those people are, they have so much contribution to the company that and if and if somebody is not a perfect fit, then the impact on the company and the growth of the company is so much higher than later on that you, especially early on, you have to be so careful with, with actually making sure that those people, those fundamental people who are building the culture, they're building uh, everything are perfect fit. Yeah, she's right. She's a hundred percent right. The impact, uh, both positive and negative is it's greater felt earlier on, like when you're five employees versus when you're 500 employees, of course, that, that, that stands to reason, but she's, she's a hundred percent correct. So if anything on that, on that sort of, um, based on that thesis, you should be more, more careful earlier on because as yeah. you grow, you know, this, the misses don't have the impact they do in the early days. And so she's a hundred percent correct. Ron, anything you do specifically for the culture fit or it's a standard interview, let's see what's going to happen. And then once they start, then you're going to see if it's going to work out or not. But like in terms of finding the culture fit, anything 
particular that you, I'd love you to do? tell you that I have a magic wand, but I don't. Uh, you know, I try to ask, you know, for myself and, and you know, it's, it's usually more in one interview. And and first of all, I don't interview people. Well, let's be clear. That's not my style. I don't come to an interview with a checklist. Um, I come and I just have a conversation. I said, like, this is how I, I, I'm a founder. I just want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. I don't have a set of prescribed questions. Let's just kind of, I'll start, I'll lead, but let's kind of go with the flow. And I try and get a sense of who that individual is. And um, I try to ask questions that help me understand, will this individual fit into what we're trying to build here in terms of, you know, you know, the working protocols, yeah. or the work ethic, the value ethics, um, things like that. And of course, we all do our due diligence, both references, front end and back channeling. But, you know, just like that guy who fired the CEO, fired the guy after four days, you never know until you until you know and sometimes that's like you've already hired the person so uh, totally. i wish i could tell you there was look if somebody came up with a magic wand like if i came up with a, a company that said sergey i can 100 percent guarantee that you will not hire anybody that doesn't work out and this is why well believe me you'd buy that service and i'd be a you know a quadrillionaire but last time i checked uh there isn't a, a product out there that does that so People are complicated. That's sure. uh, that's one of the takeaways. All people are complicated. You know, whether you're a founder or whether you're employee number, you know, nine hundred. We're all we're all unique. We're all special, right? We're all special. True. Ron, what's your philosophy around failures? You had a fair share of yeah. Uh, of, of, what, what, how do you failure. think about it? So, so how do I think about it? Um, yeah, what's your philosophy I, I around failures? I try not to dwell on it, but I've tried to take the lessons I've sort of the lessons I've learned and grow from that. And I think, look, you know, I think you know a lot of people say failures. You learn more from failures than from successes. I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think you learn from both, right? You learn from everything, and like every day, um, you know, you learn. And I, I will tell you, you know, Uplink is a very complex product. It requires venture capital. It requires unique individuals to kind of build it. It requires a certain message. You know, 10 years ago, um, and again, I, I know how young I look. Thank you for, you know, I appreciate you <laughs> keep saying that. It makes, that helps me. Thank you, Sergey. But 10 years ago, I'm not sure... I could have been the CEO of Uplink, you know, um, and, you know, so I, I, try, I just try to take everything I've learned along the way, both successes and failures, and apply them to what I'm doing today. So, um, and by the way, I don't see failures as a, as a bad thing. Um, there are some CEOs I know who they hide from that. They, you know, I've had a failure, I've had two failures. Like, I, I don't see it as a bad thing. And I know a number of, let's say, you know, VCs actually compliment me because if you look at my LinkedIn, I actually put it right on top of my profile. 
like right at the top at the header, not in my like, you know, five startups, four time tech founder, two exits, but one flop. And that was a flop. Boy, did I kill that company? Not perfect. So, you know, I think you got to own it. You got to be comfortable in your own skin um, and apply everything you've learned, both good and bad, to what you're doing today and going forward. How do you turn around, or if you were to think about, Ryan, uh, if you were to think, Ron, about one of your big failures or something that was uh, maybe took a little bit of time to comprehend, um, how, how did you, what was your process of turning that around, maybe thinking, asking questions, or uh, just uh, going through that? Well, I, my, well, the failure, it didn't turn around. It, it flopped. It, it crashed and burned, right? So, again, what I try to do is apply everything I've learned to date to where I am today. So how do I, it really, I think the question is, so how do you apply that into, you know, turning a negative into a positive? So I know today I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. And, um, you know, it's interesting as a CEO of Uplink and my wife has come out and said like, who are you? You're like a different person. <laughs> like I'm not as reactive as I used, as I, used to be or when I was when I wasn't a CEO, I'm much more um, measured in my response and um, understand that there are things every day that come up that I see and there's a few today, believe me, and they're eating at me <laughs> right now as I'm talking to you. Believe me. And what I try to again, take from my experiences was, okay, take a breath. Don't react. How are we going to solve this? And that's just based on what I've learned over the years and how to date with Uplink, I've been able to turn a lot of this around because 13 months ago, we were actually a PowerPoint deck. So we, we have come a long way in 13 months. We've probably you know, you could argue that most companies um, take three years to get to where we've gotten to, and, we, in, and we've done it in just over a year. Um, but it's tough, and it's, it's tough every single day. It's tough. And uh, some days I wish I wasn't doing it, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, that goes away, and then, you know, the hurrah, hurrah comes back, and, you know, I've got my energy back, so... Back to back to why start, start starting the company in the first place. If you're just doing the exit, then you're going to be probably in a really yeah. dark place. I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm. I. I. I don't even think about that. I'm like doing it really at the end of the day to solve a business problem. I know it's a very serious pro problem, and actually the problem that we're solving actually helps people, which is it helps small business people who small business owners which need so much help. Small business is the backbone, not of Canada or the U.S. economy, but of the global economy. So, you know, all of that keeps me going because I'll be honest, there are a number of days and, and today might, you know, be one of them because I am dealing with things that are not making me happy today. But yeah. ultimately, I get through it and we just move forward. Ron, what's the best part of working with your co-founder, Pat? Oh, he's brilliant. Like, I mean, I've never, um, I, every time he speaks, I, I, I learn something and, um, he is probably 
the smartest individual, like the smartest intellect I've, I've ever come across, not just worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a, it, when he talks about, you know, the business and, and, and why we're helping people. And I just sit there and listen, my God, it's like, every time I listen to him talk, I, every time I learn something every single time. And, um, you know, I've got nothing but like the greatest amount of respect for, for, for his, for his mind, for like, you know, what he's accomplished. So it's, it's a pleasure to always have that opportunity to learn. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ron, two more questions, uh, one or two sentence answers, something really short. What would you do if your company went bankrupt? Yeah. So I'd probably just work with startups pro bono and just, you know, try to mentor and advise and help them. It's something that I actually get a lot of personal uh, satisfaction out of it. I call it like intrinsic motivation. Um, and I think I've already talked about that kind of when I retire, however that happens, that's something I, I want to do. What new beliefs, behaviors, or habits that you've adopted, let's say within five years, last five years that positively impacted your life? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think I've talked about them a little bit, uh, Really, like I, I would tell you, um, you know, I'm a little bit more measured, a little bit less reactive. Um, I would say I'm, you know, a, probably more mature as a business person. Not that I was immature, um, but again, just having these different experiences has allowed me to become more mature, to grow up as a professional, to look at things from the lens of others, not just my own. Um, and ultimately, I would tell you, maybe the biggest thing is, you know, everybody talks about culture. And I think for me, it comes down to empathy, like just really trying to be empathetic and working with the highest amount of integrity. And I can I can assure you that a lot of founders I have come across over the years, um, they talk a good game, but they don't, they don't, they don't actually, they don't actually execute against that. So those are the things I would call out. I hope I didn't, I took more than two sentences. No, that's good. That's good. It always does. It always, these questions, this is Tim Ferriss style question usually takes a, a little bit longer. Ron. Thank you for being on the show. This was a pleasure. Uh, this was awesome. This is another off the record episode for you guys. I hope you enjoyed this. You can uh, catch all the latest uh, on our LinkedIn and uh, on uh, Apple and Spotify. And uh, we'll be back soon. We are proud.